There's a great uh, verse in that song, you know, when with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. I mean, that's what makes the, all the stuff that we have to endure bearable, is to know that someday, someday we're going to be in his presence with him. And we're going to be back reunited with those people who are our loved ones who we, we so miss and we so long for. The flowers over there this morning are in memory of Craig Corner. As just as we were singing that verse, it just reminded me that uh, there isn't a person in here, I think, this morning that doesn't have someone on the other side with the Lord. And we're glad that they're in safekeeping, but we miss them dearly. And we love that. I love that verse, when with the ransomed in glory. We'll be singing together. I'm looking forward to singing that song in mass chorus in heaven. Well, you know, this is the uh, last day of the season for our choir, the last Sunday. And I know that if you're like me, they, they just bring such a blessing to every week. And uh, so I so appreciate them, Pastor Steve, and all the work that you do in your team. And, and, uh, and so thank you so much. And um, you, you should still come to church next week and the week after that, but, but we won't be blessed by the choir. And, uh, but, but Steve's got a great music team here, and, um, and we so appreciate the, uh, the amazing work that they do every, every week <clears throat> to work hard to bring us into the presence of God through music. And um, it's such an amazing thing. One of our strategies that we employ to reach people with the gospel is to pour much of our, of our outreach energy into the city at certain times of the calendar. In particular, those high times, those, um, those holiday times, the Easter and Christmas. And, and, and the purpose of that is, is very obvious. We... We're hoping that somehow we can clarify the point. That, that why do we have Christmas and why do we have Easter? And, and that if, if in some way we can, we can connect the dots for people, that maybe they will recognize the truth and welcome it into their lives and be saved. And by the way, that's the strategy that, that our Lord, Jesus Christ, employed himself. In fact, if you're going to understand the way that... Uh, that the, uh, the gospel writer John has, has tried to portray the ministry of Christ, you, you have to come to terms with the fact that, that John picked out those festival events, those times where Jesus made himself very clear to, to, and, and made himself very public that he might help people to recognize the point. For the most part, all around us, these holiday festivals are are classic examples of missing the point. And so we try as a congregation to, to sort of step into those moments and, and put a lot, pour a lot of energy, a lot of outreach energy to, to, uh, to urge our community to stop missing the point, understand what this is all about, and, and, and that they might hear the truth. And so, so you'll find that, that that's precisely what, um, what Jesus did in his ministry. And in John chapter 10, 22, it tells us the orientation of the time. It says, then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. Three months have elapsed since last Sunday. 
Well, not really, but in Bible time. Last week, if you remember, we were talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's the feast that, is, that, that uh, commemorates the, the harvest time, the, the goodness of God. And, of course, it's called the Feast of Lights as well, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a reminder that they were longing and looking for Messiah. They were thankful for the provision of God for the harvest time, and that, that was a reminder that God provides for them, and that there was coming a day when, when no longer would there be a need of sun or moon or stars, because God himself would be the light. And in the text, of course, that, that the Feast of Tabernacles keyed on, Zechariah 14, 5 to 7, it says, when evening comes, there will be light. And it was into that festival that Jesus stepped forward and said, I am the light of the world. And they missed it. They missed the point. Because they were too busy worshiping worship. So we catch up with Jesus this week hanging out at the temple area of Solomon's colonnade. John says it was winter, a wintry time. It's three months later after harvest. In fact, it's the month of Chislav, which is the month of December. And it's around the 25th of December. It was the place where those who were Followers of Yahweh used to love to gather in the temple courts in the Solomon's colonnade that was roofed. If the weather was bad, they'd gather in there and they'd talk about the things of God together. In fact, they continued that practice after those converts who came to follow Jesus Christ. They would gather at Solomon's portico or colonnade, depending on how it's translated in your text, and they would talk about the things of God together. They would meet uh, regularly. In fact, you're more familiar with um, the term Hanukkah. The Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah. The Hebrew word Hanukkah means dedication. It was the youngest of the festivals, or the most recent. It was instituted in 164 B.C. In fact, it was commemorating a revolt in Palestine led by Judas Maccabeus called the Maccabean Revolt. You've probably heard of it. It was, um, it was um, a time where they were commemorating the courage of one leader who stepped forward and said, enough of the Greek occupation. Particularly the desecration of the Jewish worship system that had taken place. At that time, there was a leader by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, he was a Syrian king. He had single-handedly imposed great oppression on the worship system of Palestine, the Jewish people. It was a capital offense to have in your possession a copy of the Torah. It was a capital offense to circumcise your male, male child. In fact, any mothers that presided over such a thing were crucified and their baby was hung around their neck. They had taken over the temple and turned it into a brothel. They had robbed it of its riches. And then uh, in the most 
outrageous of moments. Antiochus Epiphanes, to, to completely and outrageously destroy the Jewish worship system, erected a statue, an idol, to Zeus in the center of the temple and, had, and worshipped with, uh, with, with offerings of pig flesh and pig blood. It was then that the Maccabean family rose up with courage and said, enough. And they battled the Greek occupation. But what you need to know about this feast of dedication and what this was all about and how, what it was commemorating is that at first, this whole takeover was a peaceful penetration of ideas. that bit by bit eroded the will and the thinking of the Jewish people to the point where the religious leaders capitulated to the Greeks. In fact, it was prophesied in Ezekiel. The backdrop to the Feast of Dedication is found in Ezekiel chapter 34 primarily, but back in 33... There is a verse that says this. It, the context is the people of God start, stopped listening to the word and teachings of God. And then it says this, when all this comes true, and it surely will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. That's how it always begins. The first act of Antiochus Epiphanes was not to place an idol by the name of Zeus in the center of a temple. It was to plant ideas like all sex is good sex, like truth is relative. Ideas that no belief is better than the next. Ideas like self is the highest agenda. This afternoon, the wrath of God will be on parade in downtown Oshawa. Ideas. Unfortunately, what happened in Palestine as these ideas continued to permeate the society and culture the shepherds, the religious leaders, capitulated. And the prophet Ezekiel says this, the word of the Lord came to me in son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. 
You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. It was at the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, each year, that the people who claimed to worship Yahweh would step forth and say, we will never again allow false leaders to steal us away from the truths of God. It was a time each year to ask hard questions of leadership and false shepherds. And so Jesus steps onto the stage of Hanukkah and says, I am the good shepherd. Would you open your Bibles to John chapter 10 this morning, please? I am the good shepherd, verse 11 to 33. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he's, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them 
to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand I and the father are one again the Jews picked up stones to stone him but Jesus said to them I have shown you many great miracles from the father for which of these do you stone me we're not stoning you for any of these replied the Jews but for blasphemy because you a mere man claim to be God Father, I pray this morning that you will instruct us from your word and burn our hearts, Lord, with this truth that is found herein fresh again as we gather at the festival of the Lord's table. May we not be caught worshiping worship, worshiping ritual worshiping tradition but may we find this a fresh and new encounter with the living Christ the great I am I pray for Jesus sake amen I want to very quickly this morning just address the question that they asked in this in this particular text how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ tell us plainly now he says to them, I did tell you. I told you with the miracles. And once again, if you were true shepherds, you would have known the scriptures. You would have known in Isaiah 42, verses 6 through 9, what you should expect when Messiah comes. You would have seen this. You would have recognized it. I, the Lord, capital O, capital O, capital R, capital D, I am, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand, I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, check, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness, check. I am the I am, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Jesus says to them, but the reason that you do not believe is because you're not my sheep. I did tell you, but you do not believe. It's not about what Jesus did or didn't do that was in the way. It's always the same thing. Whether you run from church to church or religion to religion or weird person on TV to weird person on TV. It's not the show that's in the way. It's always the same thing. It's belief. To believe or not to believe. It's always the same obstruction. The people had been sold off to the highest bribe by their leaders. The compromisers were now out, but the hardliners were in. 
They had taken charge of religion. And they were brutalizing the people. What would you look for in a Messiah? The Old Testament tradition says that God is the shepherd of Israel. When Jacob was giving a blessing to his family in Genesis 49, he calls God the shepherd of Israel. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. In Psalm 78, 52 to 53, in talking about the rescue from Egypt, the shepherd God rescued his flock. Psalm 80, verse 1, the shepherd of Israel, O Lord. Isaiah 40, 10 through 11. Shepherding was always the description of the proper style of leadership among God's people. Isaiah 56, Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23, 1 Peter 5. In distinction to the concerns that Hanukkah suffers, or surfaces, I should say, the shepherding that was all around them had to take a serious upgrade. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew 5.20? Unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so he steps forward and says, I am the good shepherd. I'm what a good shepherd is. I want to give you quickly four checkpoints this morning that set Jesus apart as the Messiah. In other words, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. All right, here's four plain points. The first is this. Jesus is the owner and not a hired hand. Jesus is the owner and not a hired hand. Look what he says here. I'm the good shepherd. Uh, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Why? Well, a hired hand's not the shepherd who owns the sheep. Jesus owns the sheep. Jesus is a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The picture here is a flock under siege, a flock in great danger, people in great danger of wolves and robbers and thieves and voices that are trying to seduce them and steal them away from the living God. They had been successful uh, for centuries of stealing God's people away. Their prey in mortal danger. The good shepherd picture here is not sort of the cuddly, cuddly shepherd grabbing a little lamb, but more, more like a courageous, fierce shepherd who stands in the way of wild beasts and will not let them get to his flock. He will not give up even one to the will of the enemy. Not even one. And the contrast here is not so much at this point the wickedness of the leaders at that point, although there's much of that in the text. The contrast is they're just hired hands. They treat the responsibility as if they're hired hands. And hired hands are only out for their own well-being. But the owner cares. You know, to those who've ever felt in the place, some place in life where, does God really care? He's the good shepherd who cares because 
They are his. The flock is his. He absolutely cares. The good shepherd will sacrifice himself. That's the point here. He lays down his life. He sacrifices himself for the well-being of the flock. It's not just for obedience sake, although it is for that. It's not just to follow through for honor, although it is that. It's the profound relational commitment that the good shepherd has with the sheep. He says, I'm I'm the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. In, In what way? In what way? Well, this way. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. The same kind of intimate relationship the Godhead has, the Father and the Son, is this kind of intimate relationship that Jesus is talking about here in terms of ownership. I care for them because I know them. I love them. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus and and, and trying to teach men how to treat their wives, he said, love your wife as Christ loves the church. And what gave himself for her? And so the good news as we gather at the festival of the Lord's table this morning is, is this Lord who by his death has saved us. It makes him the good shepherd. That's the gospel good news. Last week we discovered that he said he is the light of the world. That shouldn't have been a shock to anyone. The Messiah was always to be God's global vision. Jesus identifies himself, identifies, by the way, a mission with scope beyond Israel. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. When Simeon was peering into the face of the baby Jesus, he was peering into God's global strategic plan. And he recognized it. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, Luke 2, 29, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What's the good news? The good news is that in this promise, in Solomon's colonnade that day, Jesus Christ reminded this audience that it was always God's vision to reach out to us Gentiles and bring us into his kingdom. What an amazing truth that is, that we are gathered here this morning because Christ, the good shepherd, has in his sight line a global mission perspective. Other sheep, that's what makes next Sunday so important, so significant, so strategic. We believe that Jesus Christ still has other sheep in this region that he has yet to call to himself, that if they could just hear the message of Christ just once, if they could just experience the love of Christ just once, they would recognize him, aha, he is the Messiah, he is the shepherd. One flock, one shepherd that includes other sheep without ethnic discrimination. There's no other Messiah like that. That's why Jesus commissions us and says he will go 
on the search and rescue mission with us. Go and make disciples. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Go and find people who will listen to Jesus' voice. That's our mandate. So Jesus is the owner. Jesus identifies a mission with scope beyond Israel. The third is this. Jesus claims authority over life and death and life again. Look at verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. I lay down my life. Down at the end of verse, this command I received from my father. Look at what, I'm telling you, he says, Jesus steps into that colonnade and says to them, listen, I'm telling you something. And that when it happens, I'm gonna lay down my life and when it happens, I don't want you to think I'm a victim or a martyr. No, no, this is the saving plan of God. This is planned. I don't want people standing, huddling around the cross saying, oh, isn't it too bad? I, I wonder why this could have ever happened. I wonder why God would have let this happen. What a waste. He was such a fine teacher. He was such a nice rabbi. He was such a nice man. He always did such nice things. What a tragic thing to happen, a tragic effect of sin. No, Jesus says. I'm not a pathetic victim. I'm not a martyr you should feel sorry for. I'm a good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd who loves people so much that I lay my life on the line. I lay it down of my own decision. It's the planned work of the Father. And I'll take it up again as well. And I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. D.A. Carson puts it this way, and I paraphrased it so I could understand it. He died on purpose so he could rise again and move toward his glorification and the pouring out of his spirit so others could live and not die too. That's the amen reality for us. We have this good shepherd who loved us and laid his life down for us and took it back up that he might be glorified and pour out his spirit that we might live too. That's the point of this festival this morning. That's connecting the dots here this morning. That's why we've gathered this morning to commemorate what our Savior has done for us, what our Good Shepherd has done for us because he loved us so much. At communion, we commemorate his death. And we always say, we proclaim the gospel, commemorating his death, until he comes. He took his life up again. We serve a living shepherd, a living savior. And then finally, My sheep listen to my voice, 
verse 27, and I know them, and they follow me. By the way, I, these are categorical statements, okay? If you're trying to understand the distinguishing mark of a Christian versus a non-Christian, I can't think of a better verse. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. And as a result, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus claims permanent joint custody of the people placed in his care by the Father. My sheep believe and are given to me by my Father and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no savage wolf, no robber, no thief, no dissenting voice can snatch them out of my hand or even expect to. By the way, Satan knows this. Satan knows he can't take you from God. What he can try to do is take you away from the richness of a vital, spirit-filled relationship day by day with God. If you let him. What brings me such comfort about this text is that my security in Christ does not rest in my own strength. No one, including me, can snatch me out of God's hand. When we are brought into the flock of Christ, when we are brought into the family, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. When we are there, we are there forever. He won't let go of us. Why do I say Satan, nothing, no, the gates of hell, the power of hell, the greatest, most persuasive voice, the most seducing voices there are, the, the greatest images there are out there, all of idolatry cannot take us because my father is greater than all. That's what the text says here. Uh, you're placed in Jesus' hand. You're placed in the Father's hand. Those two hands are the same hand. My Father and I are one. I like being in that kind of joint custody. There's some custody I wouldn't want to be in, Officer Wilson. But I like the custody that I'm in. Probably one of my favorite verses is 2 Timothy 2.12. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed against that day. That's a powerful verse. You say that verse when the seducing voices are trying to steal you away. 
you, you utter that voice when you wonder if God has disappeared somehow or is no longer strong enough to retain his hold on you. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed, Hanukkah, dedicated against that day. But I want to tell you this morning, as surely as it is true that, my, that his sheep listen to his voice and he knows them and they follow him, those who are not his sheep cannot hear. He does not know them and they do not follow him. All the words and all the works and all the miracles in all the world will not prove Messiah. But there is, I think, an amazing proof in the text. In verse 42 of chapter 10, it says, And in that place many believed in Jesus. He gave proof and much more. Now, Jesus stepped into that setting and spoke these words in anticipation that there would be people who could hear the voice of Jesus and would welcome it. It's no different here this morning. That you came into this place not listening to the voice of Jesus, not following Jesus, does not mean you have to leave that way. Because perhaps this morning, in the hearing of Jesus, you recognized him. You recognized his voice. You heard him. Your heart is drawn to him. You can follow him. Do you hear his voice? Or are you seduced by other voices? And are you staying there? Because by the way, Jesus stepped out of public ministry. This is the last time he went to a public festival. The message goes forth, but it's a passing message. This may be the time you hear it. This may not be another time. We invite people in a few moments to gather at this table. We're inviting people who, are, who have heard the voice of Jesus and he knows them and they follow him to come and comm- to commemorate that, that we do not forget. And I'm just urging you to turn from the voices that are seducing you away from following Christ. And if you don't know what they are, do these voices want what's good for you or good for them? Do these voices lead you toward a relationship with God through Jesus Christ or lead you away from him? 
Are you closer to the Father since you started listening to these voices? Make no mistake about it. The voice you listen to determines which flock you're in. This morning, it's about being in the flock of Christ. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life. I take it up again. Whoever follows me, I'll give eternal life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, please participate in these elements. If you are not, but you've heard the voice of Jesus today calling you, then respond. Follow him. Repent of your sin and come into a relationship with Christ and then celebrate with us. But if you are not, pass these elements by. Our Father and our God, we gather together. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we are here in your presence this morning. In your holy presence. The same good shepherd who spoke Solomon's colonnade and offered an alternative to false teaching, bad leaders, is the same shepherd today offering us words of life. Lord, I pray now as we gather around your table that we will truly be grateful that you are a good shepherd who laid his life down that we might live. I thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.